Welcome, proud members of the present, to another episode of the Prime Philosophy Podcast. If you are a new fire recruit or senior firefighter, I'm here to teach you everything you need to know for career-long well-being. Just go to primalosophy.com to maximize your aliveness. My guest today is a 29-year veteran of the fire service, Chief Todd LaDuke. Todd is a retired fire chief, chief strategy officer at LifeScan Wellness Centers, board member of the International Association of Fire Chiefs Safety, Health, and Survival Section, and founder of the National Surviving the Fire Service Conference held annually in South Florida. In this episode, we talk about firefighters as tactical athletes, chronic disease and line of duty death prevention, early disease detection and solutions, the effect sleep deprivation is having on first responders, and Todd's part in the upcoming book, Surviving the Fire Service. Enjoy. All right, Todd, thank you so much for doing this. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Thank you. It's, uh, it's my honor to, uh, to spend some time with you and your listeners uh, this afternoon, and uh, thanks for having me uh, as a guest. So I thought we could start just kind of setting the stage for my listeners who are a little bit less familiar with you and your work. Just give us a little bit about your background and what's, you know, your journey up to this point. Sure, sure. So uh, I, I began my career uh, up in Massachusetts on the uh, EMS side of the house, uh, um, getting certified uh, as an EMT in the, the mid-1980s. Um, I had my did my medic training uh, in Boston, and uh, uh, one northeaster snowfall too many, um, and I uh, headed south and uh, was hired uh, by Broward County, Florida, uh, Emergency Services. Um, worked my way up uh, through the ranks uh, to uh, ultimately second in command, uh, chief of operations, uh, serving in, in many uh, capacities, uh, uh, both on the line and in staff uh, uh, throughout my 30-year, my tenure. Uh, Broward's a, about an 800-person all-career metro department, uh, all firefighter ALS uh, about 24 stations uh, serves population in Broward, just under 2 million. Um, and I, I was honored to uh, just recently retire after 30 years of service as assistant chief. Congratulations. Um, June 1st, uh, I got a round of golf in on June 2nd. <laughs> and uh, equally as honored to uh, uh, June 3rd uh, uh, start as the chief strategy officer for LifeScan Wellness Centers, uh, one of the, the countries are larger uh, providers of uh, fire service uh, physicals and law enforcement physicals, seeing about 40,000 uh, firefighters and, and police uh, annually. Um, I've also been blessed to, uh, to serve for over well over a decade um, um, on the International Association of Fire Chiefs uh, Board of Directors for the Safety, Health and Survival Section. Um, done a fair amount of publishing and, and speaking and uh, uh, will soon be uh, coming out with uh, uh, a fire engineering book uh, in the next month uh, entitled Surviving the Fire Service with uh, about a dozen or so friends and colleagues and uh, co-authors. Uh, so uh, I'm very excited uh, to, to talk to you today and my passion has been uh, firefighter health and, and safety and wellness. So uh, I, I know that's a, an area that's important to you as well. And again, I want to thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure that book is going to have an incredible impact. So I'm excited for that release. Now, obviously, this is one of the best jobs in the world. We all know that, but it's also one of the unhealthiest. So the goal here is to make it just a little bit healthier by focusing on the things that we can control. So being a firefighter is, is, is great. But what kind of impacts has this job had on your health? You know, that, that's a great question. And uh... Uh, we we know you know the, the new term that uh, is being uh, uh, labeled uh, with firefighters is a tactical athlete. Uh, we know from studies of, of metabolic function that uh, uh, the work uh, that that we do is uh, strenuous, uh, has a tremendous impact on almost every uh, system of the body, uh, from cardiovascular to circulatory to lymphatic, uh, and the list goes on. Um, so, and we know when they uh, measure metabolic uh, uh, exertion and capacity, uh, the extremes that we're operating in are, are really at the very same level as professional athletes. Uh, obviously, the difference is uh, 
Um, we strap on a, a ton of additional gear and breathing apparatus and uh, tools and stretching hose line. And so it's a, it's a, an environment that um, if we're not ready for, um, can have devastating consequences. So uh, personally for me, um, that journey, um, even as a staff chief who, who didn't see a lot of combat, um, um, you know, leading by example, um, meant, um, you know, trying to try to uh, address modifiable risk factors, um, you know, clean, healthy eating. Uh, there's a study that's underway uh, with Dr. Stefanos Kales up at Harvard in the Indianapolis Fire Department looking at the Mediterranean diet. Um, so cutting out you know, the sugars, the, the high carbs, the, uh, the uh, white pastas, the white breads, uh, um, and, and eating um, a little bit more healthy portion sizes, um, staying hydrated. Um, it's also meant uh, having a commitment lifelong to uh, uh, physical uh, fitness, um, whether that's functional fitness, whether that's simply um, strength training in combination of uh, aerobic uh, activity um, is is maintaining that level uh, to be literally a tactical athlete, meaning that when we have to go to work, um, our, our body has been conditioned uh, for that. And then also uh, managing modifiable you know health risks. Uh, so not only uh, weight and, and exercise, but uh, uh, maintaining healthy sugar levels, um, maintaining uh, healthy cholesterol levels, um, being cognizant of our, of our blood pressure, um, and, and when lifestyle changes aren't working, uh, addressing it uh, as appropriate. Um, we know something as simple as uh, not well-managed blood pressure in a firefighter puts them at 12 times higher risk uh, for a sudden cardiac event. So it's really meant uh, for me um, taking uh, health and wellness uh, very seriously because literally your, your life may depend on it. And certainly when I'm uh, out preaching around the, the country about the firefighter health and wellness, I want to do as, as best a job uh, leading that charge uh, by living that mantra as I can. Now, you said you focus on occupational hazards. Um, some of these things are going to be out of our control. What are some of the scariest things that we need to be worried about right now? You know, the, the three, I've kind of termed it uh, uh, the three-legged stool. We look at occupational health um, hazards to firefighters. We've done a, a, a tremendous job at, at reducing um, what, what it, we had seen in prior decades, uh, our fire ground uh, risk. You know, we're being uh, very uh, uh, wise in how we approach uh, managing risk on the fire ground. Uh, but what we've seen emerging as a repetitive uh, theme is three really uh, large occupational health threats to firefighters, and um, those those are occupational cancer. Um, you know, the American cancer uh, folks would say one out of approximately one out of every three members of society will at some point in their life um, have to face cancer. Um, we know from the NIOSH study, firefighters have a higher rate uh, above that. Um, so that, that's a, a concern um, that's, you know, grappling um, us as a, as a service right now. Um, we know from the United States Fire Administration that close to, um, if not a little bit over at times, half of our um, on-duty, um, line-of-duty deaths are from a cardiovascular event. And we know from the work of uh, Dr. Denise Smith at Skidmore and Stephanos Kales at Harvard um, and others that, that um, changes occur within the body, um, on the cardiovascular system, on the circulatory system, um, on the actual heart muscle itself from the extremes of firefighting. Um, so we, we know that that's a, a challenge and, and we need um, to be cognizant of how we how we manage that challenge. And then um, the, the third, and some of these were are anecdotally we know just because there's, you know, we just got the U.S. Uh, cancer registry uh, approved nationally to look at our magnitude of the cancer problem. And we have U.S. fire on uh, tracking cardiovascular, but behavioral health wise, um, you know, we, we try to do the best with uh, uh, the data capture systems that are out there, uh, although they're not robust. But we do know from some of the research that firefighters have higher rates of uh, stress, uh, sleep disorders, 
um, dependency on uh, alcohol uh, substances, um, uh, rates of post-traumatic stress injury, and uh, also um, suicide uh, compared to uh, uh, other studies that are looking at just general population non-firefighters. So um, th- those three seem to be the repetitive um, tragedy of losing members of the service and um, additionally members struggling with uh, each of those that we don't lose them, but they're they're battling in each of those three areas. So uh, um, I guess the fortunate part is there's uh, a, a number of uh, areas of prevention that we can focus on and early detection in each of these is a critical component of uh, um, what I call surviving the fire service, you know, which which is, should be all of our goal and go on to have a, a long and lengthy and healthy retirement. Yeah, a lot of those statistics are really unfortunate, obviously. So is that the focus of LifeScan Wellness is the early disease detection? And do you guys also provide education on prevention? We, we do. So um, LifeScan uh, Wellness Centers uh, um, started here in, in uh, Florida, uh, was uh, first introduced to them in my home department in, in Broward County. Um, does a very comprehensive approach to public safety, um, early detection, of course, uh, using the NFPA 1582 and 1583 for the uh, uh, health surveillance uh, and the physical fitness aspect are the uh, the baselines. Um, then, of course, incorporating uh, um, lab markers, so looking at uh, uh, not only routine lab markers, but but other markers for early cancer detection, uh, behavioral health screening, um, you know, working with uh, the clinician and the firefighter or law enforcement officer, um, going through um, evidence-based screening tools for uh, precursors to behavioral health concerns, and uh, uh, a very uh, thorough uh, 1583 fitness assessment with an exercise physiologist, we also incorporate um, the use of uh, ultrasound um, screening as part of the, the overall three-hour exam, uh, looking at vascular changes, looking at blockages, potential uh, abnormal masses, and, and other uh, significant clinical findings. We know, uh, in particular on the cardiac front, that um, from the work uh, of, of folks with the NIOSH fatality reports and the work of uh, Dr. Denise Smith and others that uh, a significant portion of our cardiac fatalities, um, tragically, um, have uh, on post-mortem autopsy, uh, autopsy have been uh, identified to have had uh, left ventricular dysfunction or an enlargement of that uh, cardiac muscle. Or So we, we know that uh, just based on uh, post-mortem autopsy findings, uh, tragically of uh, a significant portion, I think the number uh, that sticks in mind is 88% high 80s of uh, firefighters that have uh, died in the line of duty from a cardiac event had this enlargement of their cardiac muscle, their left ventricular muscle. Um, and that can be screened for specifically with uh, cardiac ultrasound. And, and uh, if identified early, is reversible, treatable. So uh, um, the, the whole model is based on uh, early detection of uh, preventable risk so we can then uh, have early intervention and really have the firefighter not miss a beat but be safe and, and uh, uh, do their job effectively without the health risk. Okay, understood. So getting to root cause resolution here, some of the things that we are always going to have in our control is what, how we eat and, and how we exercise. So how are you guys recommending that we go about you know what to eat and when to eat at the firehouse and off-duty? Yeah, well, let, let me start by saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a uh, nutritionist or an exercise physiologist. I'm just a pragmatist. So I, I listen to folks um, much smarter than my, myself. And um, the, the two folds on this, on the nutrition side, um, there's a, a significant amount of work that's been done um, by doctors uh, Janky and her team uh, out of Kansas City and Dr. Uh, Kales and, and his team uh, out of Harvard, uh, looking at just uh, shying away from uh, some of the staples of a Western diet, largely sugar, largely white wheat, um, high amount of carbs, high amount of fats, and, and 
trending more towards um, eating smaller portions more frequently, but also, you know, it's been called a Mediterranean diet. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's a, it's obviously it's a regional um, diet based on uh, populations in the Mediterranean that have very high life expectancies. Um, but simply, it's, it's real simple. I mean, lots of water, lots of uh, uh, fruits, vegetables, very lean meats and lots of fish. Um, and then uh, red wine in moderation on the uh, on the alcohol front, um, and that's been shown to be effective in uh, in cardioprotective and lower rates of cancer and and other health benefits, uh, blood pressure control, weight control. Um, you know, on on the exercise front, um, my uh, uh, good friend Denise, Doctor Denise Smith, says if there was a magic pill. It's exercise. Yeah. Uh, let's before we get into before we get into exercise, Todd. I thought we could spend a moment here on eating because, in my opinion, I love the fitness focus of the fire service. But I do think sure. 80 percent of your body composition success is going to be determined by what you eat. Not only that, exercise is great, but it's not going to prevent or reverse any of this autoimmune condition. And you know, obviously, it's something like over seventy percent of the fire service right now is overweight or obese. So I thought maybe we could spend a little bit more time here. I think That's the, the, the the Mediterranean diet is I think a great option especially when compared to the standard American diet um, you know I work with first responders here coaching them virtually and in person and what I find to be what I recommend is something more along the lines of the way that we evolved to eat so more of an animal-based diet the majority of your calories coming from animal products with a little bit of non-starchy vegetables. And by doing this more keto carnivore style diet, we can upregulate, regulate, you know, a state of ketosis, which is also phenomenal for its cancer protective properties. You know, those are some great points. And, uh, um, you know, again, I'm not the, uh, the guru of nutrition, but I, I, I do know, um, uh, um, you know, I've been, I've been counseled that, uh, you know, you can't outwork uh, a bad diet. Um, and, and there's something to be said for that. You can't uh, outrun a bad diet uh, in terms of exercise. There's obviously a, a vital you know, portion of what we need to have is uh, our preparation and our lifestyle. But how we choose um, our nutrition path uh, has direct uh, uh, corollary to our, to our health uh, risks and our performance on the fire ground. I mean, we know that, uh, uh, you know, this whole term of tactical athletes uh, – uh, I've been told that, uh, uh, you know, today is the 16th of October, uh, that uh, Tom Brady, who's, you know, probably the oldest quarterback in the NFL and still performing at elite levels, um, knows what he's going to have for breakfast, snacks, lunch, and dinner on October 16th, 2020, a year from now. He's that regimented. So um, your, your points are, you know, very well taken. And, you uh, you know, the takeaway uh, that I think you hit the nail on the head is the fire service. The research that's out there uh, tells us that as a service, uh, we are more obese and overweight than members of the general population. And uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise to, to many. Um, you know, we have high levels of stress, often uh, poor eating habits, poor time, we're not sleeping. Um, so those challenges, the flame study that's out there shows the average firefighter puts on several pounds a year. Um, if they're not doing anything to be proactive and how they're eating and how their, uh, physical activity is. So, uh, some, some great points on nutrition and, uh, it's something I think we all need to take a look at in our individual, um, lives and, and, uh, tailor it accordingly to the, the profession we love and the job we've chosen. It's it's obvious that we need to make some changes and some of the things the immediate things that you can do in the firehouse This just across the board like you said earlier is the elimination of the sugars But also the grains and the vegetable oils the, the vegetable oils are one of the number one uh, You know things you need to eliminate completely from your diet They cause direct damage at the DNA level at the cellular level and lead and have cancer promoting properties So, you know, obviously cancer is a hot topic a lot of things we don't consider are food leading to this and also the sleep deprivation so if you take anything away from this conversation today it's to get those out of the fire service for, for good that's that's a great point you know a lot of this is educational and awareness i know we worked in in broward county with uh, some of our um 
local health planners and some of our, our hospitals and, and uh, came up with just some awareness posters that were simple in, in every firehouse uh, in the kitchen area. Uh, green were foods that uh, uh, really had great benefits and, and uh, more was better. Um, yellow were foods that, uh, you know, cautious in terms of uh, intake. And then red were really ones you should look at shying away from. So, um, like I said, I, I definitely am not the... Uh, the guru of nutrition, but uh, I think most firefighters are just uh, uh, with education and with the knowledge are uh, uh, able to make those modifications to make them healthier and, and actually their performance better, uh, not only on the fire ground, but off as well. Right. And and I just want to harp up one more time on, you know, the leading research on these ketogenic diets and how perfect they can be for law enforcement and first responders, especially firemen who have inconsistent meal times and often have to who miss meals or have to skip meals. It's OK because, you know, they're what we call fat adapted and they can rely on stored body fat for fuel instead of ingested calories. And like I said once before, if you look at the, the research by Dr. Dom Diagostino on uh, keto genetic diets and fighting cancer i think it's just it's the over the evidence is overwhelming and really needs to be taken into consideration excellent uh, excellent insight i i learned just as much uh, when i when i do these interviews uh, as maybe uh, i hope i impart but uh, your your insight is uh, is uh, very uh, uh, valuable to to your audience and to our firefighters and into the uh, the jobs that we we've all chosen and the the inherent uh, uh, risk that comes with those. We need to do our part to uh, make sure we're stepping up to the plate performance-wise and, and health-wise, and nutrition's a huge part of that. Absolutely. So when you were on duty or off-duty, what was your kind of like tr- exercise routine like? So um, I, uh, I guess I, like most, uh, uh, have evolved. Um, so, uh, you know, I tell the story all the time and I'm sure my department, uh, I recently retired from after 30 years. So it's no different than, than most. I have, uh, you know, some stations that are my CrossFit folks. I've got other stations that are, um, my middle of the road folks. And I've got, you know, more senior stations that, uh, um, tend to, to maybe not be as physically active as when they started. So, um, my, my routine was simply, um, making, um, uh, a block of time every day, uh, somewhere in my calendar schedule, um, for an hour of physical, uh, activity that combined, um, some type of, uh, uh, aerobic, uh, activity along with some, uh, strength training and a, and a balance between those two, um, with occasional rest days thrown in, uh, here and there during the, during the week. So, uh, as I've, as I've aged, I, I've found that, uh, that that has evolved. I went from uh, uh, running about 35 miles uh, a week uh, as part of my my routine of uh, um, metabolic uh, preparation and aerobic uh, preparation. Um, you know, and having that discussion as I hit the the 5-0 and um, age age group, uh, you know that that takes a takes a toll on some of the joints and your knees and whatnot. So, uh, for me, it's at this point in, in uh, where I'm at, uh, something as simple as uh, um, just a a brisk walk. Um, so I my routine is uh, trying to get five to six miles of uh, brisk walk in a, a day where I break a sweat, where I get my heart rate up uh, um, to where it needs to be. And, uh, and then combine with some uh, resistance training, um, as well. So, um, you know, and again, I'm not a, uh, a pure fitness trainer. I'm not a, uh, exercise phys, but, um, we, we do know that, um, surrounding our essential job tasks, whether that be stretching a hose line, ventilating search and rescue that we've got, uh, uh, a number of different, um, mechanics that our bodies have to be uh, prepared to do, whether that's strength, whether that's uh, aerobic uh, capacity and endurance. Um, And we know from the research that the levels of those are are very high to the level of professional athletes. So um, whatever routine that that you um, adopt, and, and I say that because I think at some point we're all at different points in our journey of where we're at physical uh, fitness wise. Uh-huh. Um, so what, what may work for myself may not work for someone that hasn't exercised in, in some period of time. So we're all on a different spectrum. I think, uh, 
you know, the old adage of, uh, you know, start doing something um, and then build in. For me, even when I was uh, running, um, I literally had put on so much weight um, that I struggled to walk um, one mile on the treadmill. And every week I would just bump that up a little bit. I'd bump up the elevation until I, I got to the point where I was running uh, 35 miles a week, as I mentioned, at a fairly good pace. So uh, it's it's uh, individual, depending on where you are at, at this point in your your uh, physical fitness journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be an individualized approach. Um, but I mean, obviously, we need to be fit for duty. And you mentioned earlier, now we're considering firefighters tactical athletes. Now, I think the focus is on the more high intensity stuff, because in a practical situation, fires are not, you know, going to be a comfort- at comfortable heart rates. So maybe, you know, strength training combined with, you know, the high, the more high intensity interval training, um, just to be be more prepared for the brief, intense measures and the overexertion and the heat stress. That That's absolutely, uh, absolutely critical point, you know, as uh uh, the other thing I would I would add to that is uh, some of the research and studies that have been out there, um, not only in preparation, but one critical component, which I don't think we've touched on, is uh, hydration status. Uh, uh, some of the research that's been done, again, by minds much smarter than myself, um, show that many firefighters show up to their shift um, in a dehydrated status um, for uh, their, their uh, you know, initial uh, duty shift. Um, and trying to recover from that uh, becomes almost a, a very vicious cycle, uh, particularly where you catch a job or you're, you're uh, off and running. So uh, hydration is a, is a key component, not only to nutrition, but also to uh, performance uh, physically as well. So we also know that with, with that hydration comes uh, uh, changes in the circulatory system and clotting factors and other um, constellation of, of changes that occur within the uh, physiology of our body uh, mm-hmm. that puts us at higher risk for uh, preventable uh, incidents of, of cardiac events. So uh, it's a it's a whole package uh, in terms of you know tactical athletes is, is one buzzword that's out there. Um, many are referring to it as as human performance that if we're expecting you know to perform at a certain level um, that doesn't happen by chance it requires that whole package of you know proper nutrition proper physical conditioning proper hydration status so mm-hmm. it's it really is that package that you have to be paying attention to um, every day yeah i would love to add some thoughts to that hydration aspect because i obviously recommend a low carbohydrate diet but what comes along with that is some sodium depletion so if you are going to go a more you know meat and non-starchy vegetable style diet you are going to need to add sodium into your diet and i'm in the camp that sodium does not lead to high blood pressure it's actually from high carbohydrates so i don't think you need to fear salt um so maybe a pinch of sea salt in the morning along with some lemon juice is fine and also, you know, like things like avocados are really high in potassium and maybe a magnesium supplement um, because hydration is key, but it's more than just drinking tons of water throughout the day. No, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. I think, uh, you know, the, the electrolyte balance is, is uh, huge. Uh, we know that that has so many impacts on our, our body uh, system. I know uh, on hydration status in particular, it's a topic sometimes we don't even um, you know, spend enough time educating on. And one of the things that uh, we adopted uh, in Broward that we, um, I call it legalized staling, but we benchmarked from another area department um, and training academy was uh, put up uh, urine color charts in all the uh, restrooms, uh, just making our, our members cognizant based on the uh, color of their urine, uh, what their what their hydration status uh is and, and you know uh, it, it again kind of increases the awareness level, gets people thinking about you know the importance of uh, uh, addressing that critical component as well. Mm-hmm. Now, staying with exercise for a moment, do you think fire departments should go out of service for physical training? You know, I really um, I have no issue with that um, at all. Um, I know that uh, um, you you. Uh, pointed out, and it rightly so, uh, that as a fire service, um, we are obese as a service compared to um, general population. I know um, that NIOSH studies of firefighters that have given their lives due to a fatal cardiac event, 63% in one study, um, were obese. 
Um, so I, it's it's a huge issue, and uh, you know we spend a tremendous amount of time uh, with units, uh, and rightly so for other activities, whether that be public education, uh, checking hydrants, uh, uh, vehicle maintenance, uh, all, all the things that we have to do um, to be a ready and all hazard fire service. Um, obviously, um, you know, it's probably uniqueness among varying jurisdictions, depending on staffing levels and unit availability and other coverage. But um, I, I think the fire service uh, needs to continue to elevate um, the priority and the importance that we place on um, physical fitness. And, and again, uh, many departments are at a different point in their journey. Um, you know, I would encourage each department to do a self-assessment of where they are relative to that journey. Um, and, and that may be um, an area uh, where we're taking a unit and dedicating a, a lot of amount of time uh, makes a lot of sense just to, to uh, elevate that importance because we know, we, we absolutely know it's critical to not only being successful in our, our uh, functions, but also to survival. Mm -hmm. And maybe your administration isn't okay with you guys going out of, out of service to train, but you know, just throughout the day, you have to find ways to move more. I think one of the issues for not only slower departments, but even the busy departments in between runs, they're they're finding that they're just so um, they spend so much time being sedentary. What kind of things did you do to find ways to move more in daily life and on duty? You know, I, I don't think this has to be uh, uh, rocket science. I, I think a lot of it can just start with uh, uh, simple steps. I know uh, uh, for myself personally, um, that started with a step tracker. And, you know, today we've got whiz-bang technology of iWatches that measure, you know, our, uh, uh, our electrocardiogram that uh, calculate our calories burnt. But uh, ba basically it's just move more. Uh, for me, you know, being a staff chief, uh, that meant uh, oftentimes uh, uh, taking uh, three uh, flights of stairs to my office instead of uh, taking the elevator. Um, ideally, you know, uh, uh, walking more, uh, something simple as a sitting uh, down. You know, there's a reason why uh, the fitness app on the iPhone uh, tracks how many times uh, in a day you actually get up and stand um, simply moving around inertia uh, is not a friend of, of our health. And, you know, uh, we've, we've seen, I think, sometimes technology can help us. But at the same time, um, you know, we, we also can uh, uh, have uh, a hindrance from technology. We get glued to TVs or, or PDAs or iPhones or uh, reliance on uh auto instead of walking. So uh, for me, it's just simply moving more and, and finding ways to, um, whether that's, you know, parking somewhere, park at a distance and walk, whether that's uh, taking uh, stairs instead of elevators, just finding how can you uh, shake your routine up so you're, you're moving your body more. Right. And two, some tips that I have for people on duty that I always like to recommend to fire departments is two things. One is station strolls. So whenever your training's over, your chores are done and you're not taking runs, walk around the firehouse. Um, and for new recruits, if you're worried about looking bad doing that, uh, try to convert your protocol or your SOPs to audio, and then you can listen to them while you walk their way. That way you're, you know, getting your education and training while you're doing that. And also return reps. So whenever you turn from the store or from training or from a run, do reps of a certain exercise like push-ups or pull-ups, and those accumulate throughout the day. And it's a great way to like, you know, compete against your buddies at the firehouse and also just to keep you moving. That's, that's uh, some real practical, great advice. Uh, uh, again, it, I, I don't think it has to be rocket science. It's just figure out how uh, incorporating uh, uh, that movement into your, your daily routine. So it's, uh, it's something that becomes second nature and you're, uh, um, you're holding yourself accountable to, to certain goals. And, you know, uh, I know we've got the 10,000 steps out there and um, you know, that's a great goal to, to have people set, you know, and ultimately goals are there to motivate us to have personal accountability against uh, um, some achievement standards. So uh, figure out what those are for you. I know there's national recommendations out there, but uh, uh, if we're not where we need to be, take take this initiative, take that first step and just, you know, add a little bit uh, every day, every week, uh, and you can build yourself up to uh, to where you need to be. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, one of your main focuses is preventing these cardiac events that we're seeing. Obviously, that's one of the leading causes of line of duty deaths. Now, do you or the organizations that you work with recommend firefighters use heart rate variability? You know, I'm not uh, not necessarily that familiar uh, on that front. Um, I know from uh, cardiovascular risk, uh, what we're finding is is several fold. Um, one is modifiable risk factors. Um, they mean so much more in firefighters just based on the, the strenuousness of the environments which we operate in. I mentioned uh, several of them. We know that having hypertension as a firefighter puts you 12 times greater risk of a cardiac event. We know obesity, uh, very similar, smoking, similar um, um, and, and the list goes on, uh, sugar, you know, poorly controlled blood sugar. Um, so preventable, modifiable risk factors, um, you know, we look at managing those largely based on um, the Uniformed Preventative Health, Health uh, Services Task Force recommendations, which, which are great, but they're not firefighter population based. So we know firefighters um, have when they have those risk factors and they're not being managed uh, uh, in a manner consistent with uh, the extremes of our of our profession. Um, those are a little bit probably different than a, a stockbroker or a teacher. Uh, again, both wonderful professions and, and have a bunch of friends that are stockbrokers and teachers, um, but the risk is different. And then, um, you know, we talked about the importance of physical condition, hydration, nutrition. Those are all directly um, contributable in terms of uh, either accelerating or mitigating our cardiac risk. Right. And then the last piece, um, is really early detection is, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, through some of the work that the International Association of Fire Chiefs have, has done uh, uh, in looking at uh, some research on uh, who are getting physicals in the fire service, uh, the numbers still, uh, we've got some work to do. 20% of uh, career departments reported they weren't receiving medical annual exams. I think the number was 40% for our volunteer um, uh colleagues and brothers and sisters on the volunteer side of the house. Um, uh, and then on top of that, the numbers were even more staggering when we started looking at uh, what type of exams they were getting and, and were they really uh, germane to the occupational risk that, that we face. So it's it's really a complete package. You know, the, the modifiable risk factors, the uh, nutrition, hydration, physical activity, and then the annual medical screening. And then specifically on the cardiac side, you know, there's some additional um, tests that, that look, we touched on that, uh, you know, look at some of the structural changes that are occurring, some lab work looking at inflammation markers and, and other um, early signs that perhaps uh, cardiovascular risk is, is uh, lying, you know, dormant or not well managed. Yeah, let's talk about that early, that early detection and that cardiovascular risk. I think the most underutilized tool in the fire service is going to be this HRV or heart rate variability because it takes three minutes to check in the morning and it will it what it's basically telling you is your readiness to train so it will tell you if you are overstressed and overworked and if so then you are not prepared to take on a hard workout that day and in all honesty you're probably not ready to take on a hard crazy structure fire that day either even though that's part of the job so what it's doing is if if, if it's telling you you're overstressed you need to take it easy that day and also address the under, underlying issue of why you're over overstretched which is probably going to be one the nature of the job two you're probably sleep depressed because you're a fireman and three maybe you're overtraining. so HRV is a huge tool for everyone and all you have to do is buy a chest strap and get an app on your phone and measure it every day before your shift and if it's telling you that you're overstressed and you need to take it easy then that's science-backed data right there that you need to follow I think this is such a great tool for firefighters and fire recruits who are getting their balls busted every day training and overtraining and all it's going to do is lead to illness injury and burnout and possibly even increasing your risk of having a cardiac event that that's some great uh, really uh, you know rubber meets the road tip of the spare um, you know uh, uh, calibration if you will of uh, where we're at status wise and uh, you know it's important uh, none of this stuff happens uh, uh, by chance uh, we have to commit as individuals as uh, uh, to make this a, a way of life, a culture. Um, you know, I, I'm sure uh, 
like you, I've been to far more uh, funerals of uh, uh, fire service brothers and sisters than I ever anticipated um, when I first signed up for this career. And when I look back, you know, in terms of the uh, preventability, um, we we need to commit as, as individuals. There's personal uh, accountability and responsibility. Um, and there's, uh, at the same time, as departments and leaders in departments, we need to make sure that we're, we're giving uh, our folks uh, the, the education, the awareness, and the resources um, to, to, to be the healthiest and the safest that they, they can. You know, mm-hmm. there's a quote out there um, that says, uh, you know, when, when you hit the fire ground, uh, your risks become everyone's risks. And, and that's true. We, we are uh, a team. Uh, operation. We operate uh, uh, as a team on the fire ground. We know that uh, in order to be successful, multiple tasks have to be uh, uh, executed and executed uh, supremely and efficiently. Um, And if one of us is not prepared uh, on on that fire ground, a whole constellation of bad things start happening and some of them aren't recoverable. Uh, So it's important. We need to uh, continue to elevate that focus. And I appreciate all the work that, that you do with um, with recordings and discussions that we are having today and, and uh, that you do regularly to help uh, continue to get that message out. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, and I don't think we can talk about health and wellness without mentioning what, what is, in my opinion, the number one health concern in the fire service, which is sleep deprivation. What are your thoughts on that? You know, um, cer- certainly we we know um, that uh, poor uh, sleep hygiene and sleep deprivation in particular has um, such widespread uh, consequences uh, on the human body, um, not only physio- uh, physically and physiologically, uh, but also behaviorally as well. Um, we are just uh, scratching the surface on um, the magnitude, I believe, of sleep deprivation in the fire service. Uh, for any of us that have been in the service for any length of time, we know um, that it's hard to pre-schedule. Uh, 911 calls and emergencies, um, and we know it's a 24/7 operation, 365. Um, so it, it's a huge issue. Um, we know there's overtures uh, with cancer risk and sleep deprivation, cardiovascular, and also behavioral health. Yeah. Um, that's a, a large component. I, I will say that uh, uh, you know we've had we're, we're fortunate we've had more health and wellness occupational research done for firefighters in the last decade than in the prior two centuries. Having said that, we, we know there's more work to be done on uh, the, the exact impacts of uh, sleep deprivation, the role it plays. Um, one, one thing I, I know uh, at, at LifeScan, we include um, uh, sleep wellness um, evaluations that are, that are evidence-based uh, scales to, to evaluate. I know in Broward, uh, we spent a, a good amount of time bringing in uh, uh, sleep specialists uh, to talk to our members and educate them about uh, things that they can do from uh, a good sleep hygiene perspective. Um, so there, there's non some you know factors that are not controllable, um, and many factors that we can do uh, to again either mitigate that uh, that sleep disruption. Um, or make for healthier sleep. So uh, it's it's a huge issue. I'm glad you brought it up. And uh, it's one uh, a we can we can do things about, and b we can screen for. Um, I know with the the obesity issue in the fire service, many of our firefighters are, are have uh, CPAP or BiPAP or you know have other interventions that you know are weight related as well. So it's multifactorial, but it's it's one we can't ignore because it's directly related to overall health. Right. Now, here in Ohio, we work 24 on, 48 off. When you were on company, did you have a similar schedule? We, we do. Uh, the same thing. Our members work uh, 24, uh, 48 as well. Right. Now, besides the temporary band-aids of, you know, improving sleep hygiene, you know, uh, avoiding artificial light at night and having blackout curtains in a quiet sleep environment, you know, a lot. This is something we can't control is the fact that we're going to be up at night taking runs. But what is in our control is how we let our firefighters recover so is you know the question is is 48 off enough time to recover from all that sleep deprivation and after speaking with with sleep experts on my podcast like dr kirk parsley um you know it, it seems like the consensus is that a better shift schedule would be 24 on 72 what is your opinion on that 
You know, I, I would say, uh, uh, as I just alluded to, this this is an area um, that that is one. It's multifactorial. There's there's uh, uh, a number of, of contributing um, uh, issues that, that play into uh, overall sleep wellness or sleep deprivation. Um, but but it's one I think we need to have uh, a critical look uh, in terms of. Uh, answering that question by uh, evidence-based research. And, uh, you know, I, I say all the time, you know, uh, as, as a chief and leader, um, it's scary sometimes to, to not know what you don't know. Um, we've been fortunate that much of the advance that we've seen over the last, I mean, you look at just the advances and how we're changing our practices with regards to cancer reduction. Um, the majority of that has come out of evidence-based research trials by work, uh, uh, University of Arizona, Dana-Farber, University of Miami, Fight for the Cancer Support Network, and others. Um, I think the same can be said on the on the sleep. It's an area that needs to be researched. We need to look at all the different variables and um, give uh, firefighters and uh, leaders, both on the labor side and uh, uh, administration side, um, the, the science to support whatever uh, interventions are appropriate to protect our members. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think the science is there. I think if you pick up the book, Why We Sleep by Dr. Matt, Matthew Walker, you will see all of the science. I mean, it shows that just someone who sleeps less than four hours a night is experiencing a 70% reduction in anti-cancer fighting cells like these T cells. So if we're going to want to fight cancer or prevent cancer, we have to tackle the sleep deprivation issue. And also, we haven't even talked about the correlation with mental health and the rise in suicide and depression. Yeah, it's def it's definitely uh, it, it's multifactorial. It it, it uh, is a, a critical um, component of overall, as you just pointed out, uh, physical and uh, behavioral wellness. So uh, we certainly do uh, need to focus on it and um, look at it critically and and uh, provide the best uh, the best solutions for our, our members. Mm -hmm. uh, and that may that may vary from system to system, as you know. There's uh, you know, with 33,000 or so fire departments in the United States, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, um, you know, it's increasingly a challenge to, to find one size fits all solution. So it's, um, but it's something we, you know, we need to be talking about, we need to be looking at, and we need to be uh, uh, providing solutions that, that take first and foremost the health and wellness and safety of our firefighters as the most important. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is a good amount of resources out there for people who are dealing with some mental health problems or maybe just suffering from some depression? I, I think that's a challenge. Uh, again, um, in many communities, uh, they may have resource challenges. I, I think um, the amount of uh, discussion and resources that uh, are there compared to when I started on the job and probably when you started on the job, are substantially um, increased. Um, I believe there's still, you know, significant amount of stigma surrounding talking about behavioral health. Although I, I also believe we're breaking down some of those barriers, uh, you know, just with the work uh, that has come out from uh, the IFF, the National Volunteer Fire uh, Council, um, IFC, National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Um, so whether that's peer support programs, share the load program from the volunteer side of the house. Um, behavioral health screenings. Um, so w w increasingly, um, education on all the behavioral health uh, poor coping mechanisms that, that many of us gravitate to because we were never taught uh, otherwise. And the substance um, abuse. So yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you would have asked me if I would have uh, ever uh, had firefighters, you know, talking about yoga and uh, resiliency and mindfulness and meditation. When I started, I would have told you uh, that that was crazy. Um, and, and now we've got departments implementing, um, you know, programs that are focused on uh, healthy uh, coping mechanisms and healthy um, overall uh, behavioral wellness. So uh, it, it's changing. We're, we're talking about it more. We're acknowledging it. Um, but it, but it's a work in progress. Uh, you know, peer support, uh, I believe in wholeheartedly. It's a wonderful uh, thing. Um, you know, oftentimes as a chief, by the time I heard or found out someone was struggling, um, you know, members of the same house or the same shift, you know, had known for some time. So um, it's, you know, training folks, awareness, um, education, what resources are available. Um, 
making a, a network of peers available. Um, and then uh, at the same time, um, you know, there's, there's a significant amount of evidence-based early detection screening tools. And I, and I think that's, you know, we, we spent a good amount of time today talking about screening for cancer, screening for cardiovascular. Um, you know, we have, we have evidence-based screening tools out there um, for most all of our behavioral health threats and precursors um, to firefighter suicide. So uh, um, that needs to be part of the equation. We need to be in a non-punitive, non-threatening manner, uh, incorporating behavioral health screenings into, uh, into our annual physicals. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, on a more personal level, do you have any stress management techniques that you would like to share as far as maybe mindfulness or meditation in your daily life? Probably exercise uh, is the most effective for myself. I, I know my iPhone, my iWatch comes on every now and then and tells me to breathe. It tells me to stand, and I try to be as compliant as I can. But uh, uh, for me, just working in that uh, that time uh, where I, I get the physical conditioning of exercise, but at the same time, it allows my mind to kind of uh, unplug and um, you know have that period of. Uh, uh, mental reset, if you will, um, work works wonderful for myself. But you know, I tend to think uh, you know there's a number of, of recommendations out there. Uh, uh, but it, it's been my experience that uh, you know they're sometimes unique to the individual as well. So I think the importance is to uh, find, particularly in the the high stress uh, jobs that we are in, um, and the uh, society which we live in, which is, you know, information overload 24-7. You know, I think one of the challenges is uh, in the information age that, that we live in um, is that constant bombardment of uh, technology. As, as we're doing this interview, I'm looking at uh, three computer screens, my iWatch, my iPhone, and a, and a TV that's silenced, but that's running. Um, and that can put the mind uh, into overload as we continue to uh, look at all this information, process it, sort it. So taking that kind of time out at some point during your day and focusing on me time um, is, is important. And that, that may be different for every individual, what that me time consists of. Um, but we need to make it a priority. The uh, uh, body and the brain are not hardwired to run 24-7. So uh, uh, we touched on sleep. Uh, but also having uh, having that mindfulness and just activity where uh, we focus on ourselves and our inner self is is part of the uh, the overall wellness uh, solution. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Just you, you do need you time. I mean, as far as just like when you exercise, you need recovery time. Your brain needs recovery time from all of that stimulus. So uh, switching gears here, just tell me about the the book that's coming out, Surviving the Fire Service, and what one should expect. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for thanks for asking. So. Uh, uh, first, first book that I've had the uh, the privilege of uh, being involved with. Uh, I've reviewed a number of you know books and chapters, but uh, I came up with this uh, this idea of wouldn't it be wonderful to have a uh, all the information you need to know um, to survive and have uh, a healthy and, and well uh, long career in in the fire service and then enjoy a, a long healthy retirement and. Um, I'd struggled with that for some time, never really pulled it together. And then I, I came up with the, the conclusion that uh, I know a bunch of friends and a bunch of colleagues that are much smarter than myself in, in their respective areas of, uh, of expertise. They're actually leading the way. Um, so I, I called uh, Bobby Halton, a dear friend and colleague at Fire Engineering. Uh, some of you may know Bobby and uh, he does a great job with fire engineering and running FDIC uh, for, for many years. Um, it didn't take much convincing at all. Uh, Bobby said, run with it. You've got my full support. I'll help you. I'll contribute. Um, and with that, we pulled together uh, over uh, a dozen uh, friends and, and co-authors, everything from uh, Brian Frieders, Chief Frieders, who's the president of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, um, we've got, uh, Captain Frank Lito, who runs the behavioral health support for, uh, FDNY, um, to, uh, uh, researches on human performance, tactical athletes, annual physicals, cardiovascular stress, uh, Chief Jeff Johnson, who, uh, retired out of Kansas City fire and is now at Newport News, did a, a tremendous job on firefighter survival on the fire ground with emerging tactics and strategies research, uh, 
We've got uh, members from uh, uh, Illinois Fire Service Institute. So it's just it's really a, a group of rock stars that are um, uh, running around the country doing research, sharing the research, and then came together to collaborate um, in this book. We have an entire chapter on uh, uh, fire service nutrition by Dr. Susie Day out of University of Texas. I mean, it's just everything you would want to know from the day you signed up for the fire service through retirement. Um, I, I was honored to uh, to serve as the editor of the book. Um, I thank Fire Engineering for embracing it. Uh, we are about four weeks uh, out from uh, print. Um, and uh, we're also uh, very excited to uh, my co-authors and um, and uh, Fire Engineering publications. We're going to be contributing some of the proceeds to the First Responder Center of Excellence, which is an affiliate of the National Fallen Firefighters. So we, we want to continue to give back, um, keep the work that many of us are involved with in the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation and the First Responder Center for Excellence help drive to just continue to uh, educate the fire service on uh, um, on being uh, safer and, and uh, create uh, research that will help us uh, uh, be uh, be just on top of our our own culture of uh, health wellness and, and safe firefighting so uh, uh, we're excited I uh, uh, really uh, look forward to the book coming out and look forward to feedback on it and my my true hope is that uh, from the the new recruit that's thinking about starting into the fire service to the uh, uh, retiree who's looking to have a long retirement that it, uh, it serves them well that sounds like it's going to have a phenomenal impact, especially getting all those masterminds together in one book. Uh, I'm excited to read it. So just two more questions before we wrap up. I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, if you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would it be and why? You know, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, a very great question. Um, in, in some ways, I've probably been blessed uh, um, that I don't know if I had a drink with him, but I got to spend a little time with uh, Alan Brunacini, um, Bruno. Um, many, many of you know uh, yesterday was the two-year anniversary of his passing suddenly. Um, you know, fire service uh, icon and legend uh, out of uh, Phoenix Fire. Um, and, and the reason was, uh, you know, great uh, visionary. Um, started with uh, uh, the 1500. In uh, getting NFPA, you know, surrounding 1500, um, and, and then also was able to take very uh, what sometimes people make as complex operating environments and make them very simple and communicating. You know, be safe, uh, be nice, and, and do no harm. So, uh, um, at, that uh, in, in fairness to your to your audience, I had a. Uh, heads up that uh, little birdie told me you may ask that question. So I, I had some time to, to ponder on it. And obviously um, I, I would never uh, want to be in the position of only having to choose one um, because that, that's such a difficult endeavor. But uh, uh, just germane to what we do in, in my passion of fire service and health and wellness is uh, Chief Brunacini really left a, a legacy that for those of us that had the opportunity to uh, uh, to know him uh, served us well, I believe. And, and I also point out uh, he, he was a longstanding member of the uh, safety, health and survival section where I've been fortunate to be elected uh, for close to the last 15 years to continue to serve on the board. Um, and, and I always appreciated uh, uh, Chief Bruno's uh, uh, you know, every year he would be there uh, to support uh, those that were trying to move the needle forward on uh, firefighter health, safety, and survival. So meant a lot and uh, left an impression on me, and I'm glad his, uh, his family, his sons are carrying on the, the legacy uh, with the work that they're doing. Very cool. Awesome, Todd. So last question, what are your daily non-negotiables, things that no matter what will always be done? You know, for for myself, um, it really is uh, continuing to contribute. And, uh, you know, I've had, uh, as we talked about, a transition in terms of what that looks like uh, in the last uh, uh, six months from uh, uniform service to now uh, uh, working to uh, uh, expand early detection and physicals to firefighters uh, um, across the country and, and uh, 
Um, I, I envision in some capacity I will always continue to uh, to do that within the fire service, whether it's in this capacity or, or if that continues to evolve. Um, the other one is is to try to the best of, of my ability is to uh, uh, practice what I what I preach. Um, so uh, all the things we talked about, it's it's always sometimes a struggle, but they're if you make them part of your daily um, routine, whether that's exercise, nutrition, mindfulness, all the things we talked about, um, the, those will serve you and those around you well. Um, and then the last is um, appreciating uh, the time that you've been given. Um, you know, we, we uh, never know how much time each of us have um, that on this uh, on this earth and uh, appreciate those those around you whether that's family friends colleagues and, and workers um, um, you know it's been said uh, that to who much has been given much is expected um, and, and that for me resonates that um, it, it really means that uh, with all in particular that I'm involved with it's uh, a, a work-life balance to uh, to make sure you, you give back you can stay involved and contribute but then uh, you appreciate and spend time with with those that uh, you love and care about all right todd well thank you so much for the conversation where can people go to learn more about you and to keep up with what you're doing sure probably the, the best is i'm on uh linkedin uh so you can just search todd uh leduc on linkedin i'm on twitter at todd j leduc l-e capital d-u-c i'm pretty active on on twitter um, are probably the, the two best, and uh, I continue to write frequently for uh, fire engineering and other um, other industry publications. So uh, look forward to hearing from folks, and uh, please stay safe out there. And I want to thank you uh, once again for this opportunity to, to uh, sh- share some thoughts and spend some time with you uh, discussing some pretty important topics. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a lot of fun and a privilege. Thank you. Have a good one. Stay safe out there. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to support this podcast by subscribing on iTunes and leaving me a review, following me on social media at Prime Philosophy, and just by spreading the word. Jacoba.